A few years back, my friend Justin Warner from Food Network moved out to South Dakota. He opened a ramen joint, and he is always posting pictures of all the great food he's not only cooking, but eating all over South Dakota. He's always telling me to come visit. And you know, one of the best ways to experience a new place is to eat your way through it. But it's equally important to live your way through it, too. And when you summer in South Dakota, you can fill up on all the lake days, hikes, rides, and small-town strolls that'll leave you with a regained sense of wonder and a hunger to do it all over again. See why there's so much South Dakota, so little time at Travel South Dakota. The New Day IPA, it's a symbolic beer for the Persian New Year because no ruse translates no means new and ruse means day. Okay. So New Day. And no ruse is coming up. It is. Um, This is a very silly idea, Zara, but I'm going to pitch you on it anyway. You ready? Yes. Are you familiar with Outback Steakhouse? (laughs) I am very familiar with Outback Steakhouse. Do you know their slogan? Um, God, remind me. No rules, just right. Okay, no rules, just right. I think <laughs> that the slogan for your New Day IPA should be, no, no rules, just, just right. right. Yes. <laughs> I love it. This is The Sporkful. It's not for foodies, it's for eaters. I'm Dan Pashman. Each week on our show, we obsess about food to learn more about people. And happy Persian New Year to those who are celebrating No Ruse Mubarak. In honor of the holiday, we're talking with Iranian-American beer brewer Zara Tabatabai. She started Back Home Beer in New York a couple years ago, taking inspiration from her grandfather. Before Iran's Islamic Revolution, he was part of a long tradition of beer brewing and drinking there that goes back centuries. So for Zara, this project is personal, as I saw when I joined her recently on a delivery run in Brooklyn. Currently in the trunk is a combination of my son's clothing, um, magnetiles, <laughs> beer, a big jug of sumac back here. Oh, that's like a gallon of sumac. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's a five-pound thing of sumac. Zara is what we'd call a nano-brewer. That's even smaller than a micro-brewer. She brews her beer in a tank that she rents at an existing brewery and makes a lot of her deliveries to stores and restaurants around New York in her Prius. This is my second Prius. The first Prius, I put so much weight into it that it was like a low-riding Prius (laughs) by the end of it. Zara and I drove to a nearby bar, a new customer for her. Usually she'd bring her nine-year-old son along, but today she's got me. When we got there, she pulled into a no-parking zone and gave me the lowdown on her strategies for avoiding parking tickets. This is what I do. I look down the block. If I don't see one of the parking meter attendants, I know I'm in the clear for at least a few minutes. And you, then you make a run for and it. And then I make a run for right. it. <laughs> Have you given any beer to a park meter attendant to get out of a ticket? <laughs> I, I never have, but I have used my son to wait in the car. I put him in the driver's seat and I rolled down the window and I said, if anybody comes here, tell them your mommy is working and that we cannot afford a parking ticket at this time. And so when I got back to the car, he was having a full on conversation with the parking attendant saying, see, that's my mommy. She's working and she's working really hard and please don't give us a ticket. And she did not give us a ticket. So Amazing. that was nice. He's going to appreciate it one day and he he's going to be able to talk his way out of anything. <laughs> 100%. Exactly. I'm setting him up for success. Yeah, that's right. These are life skills, kid. Exactly. <laughs> All right, should we make a delivery? Let's do it. Right. I don't see any parking attendants in sight. All right, uh, let's make a run for let's it. Let's do it. 
Today, Iran is an Islamic country where alcohol is banned. The biggest news of the last several months there has been the ongoing protests for women's rights. The so-called morality police arrested a young woman for wearing a hijab improperly, and she died in custody. It spurred outrage across the country. Protesters are breaking curfew, women are cutting their hair in defiance, and the government has responded with mass arrests and by killing some civilians. But that's not the Iran that Zara heard about when she was growing up in America. When her parents and grandparents talked about back home, they were talking about Iran before the 1979 revolution. The pictures I see of my family in Iran in the 60s and 70s, they're in bikinis at the beach drinking beer. They're playing music. They're dancing. Their backyard was a beautiful garden um, where they would grow different herbs and and they would have people from the neighborhood come over, and it just felt like this community. And the kids would run out and go to the bakery and get bread and come back. And it was this beautiful, magical place. Zara's parents were born in Shiraz in south-central Iran. They were Muslim, but secular. In the mid-'70s, they came to the U.S. to study at the University of Alabama. They always planned to go back once they had their degrees, but then the revolution happened. The new regime put in place new restrictions on secular life, including harsh laws impacting women's rights. So Zara's parents stayed in the States, eventually settling outside Atlanta. And some of their parents and siblings came to America, too. When they couldn't go back, they wanted to make sure that we received the life that they wanted for us in their country. And so it was nice to be able to be close to family and have that community and grow up eating Iranian food and drinking tea and being around the language and learn, growing up speaking Farsi. They left not because they wanted to, but because they felt they had to after the revolution. And since when they've returned, it's it's completely a different place to them. It's not their home anymore. So they really do feel displaced. So it was very important for them to continue to tell the stories of life back home and show pictures and videos and memories about their life there. Among those important memories from Iran were stories about beer. They told us that there were breweries and that my grandfather was making beer and that he was storing it in the cellar downstairs and that he was using ingredients from the garden and he was um, picking sour cherries and letting it ferment in there. He was using sumac and it was all these stories about him making beer, making wine. My grandmother was cooking the food. Everybody was welcome to come to the house, eat in passing after dinner. Like it was, they were the hosts of the neighborhood in Shiraz. I was very young when he passed away. So that's really all I have. It sounds like you understood from a young age that beer was part of Iranian culture and part of your family's heritage. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I that's the only thing I saw them drinking when we they went to a wedding or we went to a party or a gathering, they only drank beer and figured, okay, well this is just this is what they did in Iran, this is what they're doing now. It was years before Zara realized that most Americans' perception of Iran was very different from the one she grew up with. In the news, Iran was a perennial boogeyman, with the assumption being that the Iranian government was speaking for most of its people. As Zara got into high school and college? I definitely felt like I couldn't 100% be myself all the time because I didn't know how people would react to me even speaking about Iran. You know, when you hear about what's going on in the news and the wars, and it is a scary thing when you're growing up. 
you never feel 100% yourself like you can be 100% yourself. When Zara was in college, she got into drinking beer, but she didn't have a special interest in it. She'd have a beer with dinner or in the summer with salted pistachios. After college, she moved to New York, became a freelance writer. She had an entrepreneurial spirit, but didn't really know where to channel that other than her journalism. Then at age 30, she found herself pregnant and her whole sense of herself changed. I had never thought about having a family. It just was not in my plans at all. It just happened. And I very quickly had to turn into mom mode because I was home with him and I felt isolated. I wasn't working and I felt like I was disconnected from the entire world and myself for many years. Zara struggled with these feelings for a long time. Then when her son was five or six, she went to Atlanta to see her grandmother. And she made a comment in passing about how she missed the taste of my grandfather's beer. She said something like, I miss the taste of that beer. That's what I could use right now. And that sparked interest in me. And I thought, well, I've got free time. Let me figure this out. It can't be that hard. Let me check out some YouTube videos and... I'm going to make this beer. I'm going to make it. I'm going to send the bottles down. Let's see if we can make the taste that she's looking for. At that point, Zara was thinking of making beer as a fun project, something for her that would give her a sense of purpose beyond motherhood. When she got back to New York, she took home brewing classes at a local shop in Brooklyn. She bought the equipment she needed and started doing more research about the history of beer, especially its connection to the Middle East. Archaeologists have discovered some of the earliest evidence of beer brewing from 5,000 years ago in the mountains of present-day Iran. I uncovered a lot of things that were very surprising and interesting to me, and I was like, wow, this needs to be more well-known in the world. I was assuming, like, in subsequent years, you've talked to your parents and yes. grandparents about that history. Like, were they aware of it? Like, what, what do they say when you talk to them about it? They're like, oh, yeah, I mean, they think we invented everything. <laughs> Listen, so <laughs> they're like, of course we did. What, where else could it have come from, right, you know? Right. So, like, I mean. We came up with that right after we invented math. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> you know, batteries come from Shiraz. Like, I mean, they think we invented everything. So, of course, they're like, of course. Zara learned more about the history of beer in modern-day Iran, too. In the 1960s, there were at least four breweries there, some run by Armenians who weren't Muslim. Shiraz, where Zara's parents are from, is known for its wine grapes. But the drink of choice in the country was vodka. Twenty distilleries were in operation across the country. A New York Times article from 1953 said, quote, Vodka is extremely important in Tehran life, being served in iced decanters with bowls of caviar, beside splashing fountains under weeping willow trees in walled garden cafes. But all that changed with the 1979 revolution. Alcohol was completely banned. All the breweries and distilleries closed. A few were converted to non-alcoholic beer breweries, and today their so-called Islamic beer is becoming more popular. But of course, people never stopped drinking alcohol. The website Iran Open Data says that in a recent survey of 2,000 Iranians, about half said they drink. They smuggle booze in or make their own, even though the punishment for drinking alcohol can be lashes, fines, jail time, or even with repeat offenses, death. So Zara was learning about this rich history of alcohol in Iran, thinking about the beer her grandfather used to brew, and starting to make her own. Eventually, she began asking herself a bigger question. Why isn't there any representation of Middle Eastern beer at all? when it's only been outlawed in Iran for about 40 years. 
That question stuck with Zara as she tinkered with her beer at home, calling her grandma to learn more about what her grandfather's beer tasted like. I was trying to figure out what she liked, and it was a lot of back and forth about that, the taste and the memory and all of that. Zara's first homebrew batch was a kettle sour beer, but she did it with barberries, a common sour ingredient in Iranian food. It's something her grandfather might have put in his beers. When I tried it, I'm like, wow, this is actually really good. It wasn't that hard. Zara also made a lager with black limes, which are limes that are preserved by being dried in the sun, so they shrivel up and turn black. They're smoky and earthy and often used in stews. Zara packed up her black lime lager, her Barbary sour, and booked a flight to Atlanta so she could hand deliver this first batch of beer to her family and get their feedback. Coming up, we'll find out what they thought. And spoiler alert, it wasn't all positive. Then later, Zara starts hearing from people taking great risks to brew their own beer illegally in Iran. Stick around. Hope you're hungry, because it's time for some ads. Whether you're a family vacation traveler, a business tripper, or a long weekend adventurer, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. They've got over 7,000 locations and 22 brands, including Comfort Hotels, Radisson Hotels, and Cambria Hotels. And you will get the best value for your money when you book with Choice Hotels. I especially love those Cambria Hotels. They have locally inspired hotel bars with all kinds of specialty cocktails, downtown locations right in the center of all the action. Radisson Hotels have flexible workspaces. That way, if you're a business traveler, you'll be able to get all your work done. On-site restaurants, fantastic. And then at Comfort Hotels, you'll enjoy free hot breakfast with fresh waffles and great pools for the whole family and spacious rooms. I mean, if you have kids, you understand the importance of the pool. If you stay at a hotel with a pool... Almost nothing else matters. Fortunately, all the Choice Hotels take care of all the other stuff, too. But, I mean, a pool is a great start. Whatever kind of vacation you're going on, whatever kind of travel you're doing, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. Book direct at choicehotels.com, where travels come true. The weather's warming up. Have you nailed down your summer travel plans yet? I can tell you, we're working on ours and things are booking up, which is why you should be thinking about Norwegian Cruise Line. They have been raising the standards of cruising for more than 55 years. Let me tell you, when you cruise with NCL, you get award-winning specialty restaurants, immersive entertainment, and the most thrilling experiences at sea. Now, look, one of the great things about cruises in general is that you can visit and explore all kinds of different destinations, all with the ease of unpacking your bag just once. But Norwegian Cruise Line... They take cruising to another level, and they take food to another level. With no set dining and entertainment times and no formal dress codes, you have the flexibility to design your ideal vacation. They have an incredible variety of truly authentic and fresh dining and bar experiences complemented by exceptional service. Listen to this. There are up to eight complimentary and nine specialty dining options per ship and up to 23 bar and lounge options. Come see why NCL's guest first philosophy means exceptional service and unforgettable memories. Book your next vacation at ncl.com. At Boar's Head, delicious is in the details, and you see that in their incredible selection of hummus flavors. Boar's Head hummus is expertly crafted to achieve the perfect balance of creamy texture and refined taste. You can taste those chickpeas, you can taste the tahini, you can taste a little bit of acidity. It's got it all. I especially love their roasted red pepper hummus made with fire-roasted peppers. You can even taste a little bit of that char. It's perfectly dippable. It's perfectly spreadable. This is the kind of thing you always want to have on hand in your refrigerator. Dip, scoop, spread, or smear boar's head hummus to your heart's content. Hummus so extraordinary, it can only be boar's head. Compromise elsewhere. 
Welcome back to The Sporkful. I'm Dan Pashman. Hey, while we're talking about beer, remember last year we did an episode with Mandy Neglich, a champion home brewer and beer educator who's going for her master Cicerone certification. You know, Cicerone, it's like sommelier, but for beer. Well, Mandy's got a new book coming out this June, and it's available for pre-order right now. It's less about beer and more about flavor overall. It's called How to Taste, a guide to discovering flavor and savoring life. In this book, Mandy takes you behind closed doors into the fascinating world of professional tasters. She'll guide you to becoming an expert yourself. It'll change your whole eating and drinking experience forever. So don't wait till it comes out. Pre-order How to Taste right now from Amazon or bookshop.org or Barnes & Noble or wherever you get your books. And while you're at it, check out our episode with Mandy. It's called The Hardest Beer Test in the World. Okay, back to the show. Zara packed up her black lime lager and Barbary sour and brought them home to her family in Atlanta. I was feeling excited. I'm like, this is going to bring back some cool memories for them and see kind of what types of memories it stirred up and what kind of conversations and stories I would be hearing surrounding it. And so I I flew down. I've got the black lime lager and the Barbary sour. And they loved the Barbary sour. They thought it was delicious. Anything with barberries, they're really big fans of. And um, the the black lime lager, they did not like at all. They're like, this is terrible. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, this is, they're going to be honest. So it was good. So they're like, it's just too limey. This doesn't taste right. They had a lot to say about that one. The positive feedback Zara got on the Barbary Sour gave her some confidence that the beer she was brewing was actually really good. She returned to New York and started more experiments. She scrapped the black lime beer for the moment, but tried using other Persian ingredients like sour cherries, a tart spice sumac, and even a special kind of salt that comes from Iran. She also worked on refining her Barbary sour. Soon she felt good enough about it to have beer experts try it. She brought it over to Circa Brewing in Brooklyn. She'd seen the head brewer, Drew Kostick, in a documentary called Brewmaster. And Zara was like, why not see what he thinks? So I went over there, I just dropped in, I introduced myself, and I'm like, hey, I made this beer, it's with barberries, you've probably never heard of that, but I'd love for you to try it. And he was so nice and supportive, and he's like, let's give it a go, and we tried it right then, and he's like, this is delicious. As I said to Zara, I can understand why her beer would stand out to anyone in the industry. For all the talk of all the microbreweries and craft breweries and craft beer culture and all of that, it's like, I don't know, it feels to me like 99% of those beers are all the same. Yes, I hate to say that, but it's true. Like, they are. I mean, how, like, you know, how many more like double hopped IPAs does the world need? Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you. And you came in, you're like, let's actually, let's mix it up in here a little bit. <laughs> That's what I was trying to do <laughs> without offending anybody. Yeah, but I, I felt the same way. And it's funny because I remember this quote from uh, a beer shop here, and he's like, you know what? I'm sick of trying to sell the same exact beer that just has a different label on it. You know, I think people are craving something new and different in beer. And also like like enough with this sort of like uh, feats of strength for like how how hoppy and bitter yes. can your beer be? Like as it's, it sounds like, you know, dumb bros fighting over who can eat the spiciest <laughs> wings. Exactly. They're out trying to out hop each other. It's ridiculous. It's so stupid. It's so stupid. And your mouth just ends up being numb to everything. And it all ends up tasting the same anyway. Drew's stamp of approval gave Zara another dose of confidence. She knew for sure now that she could make delicious beer that stood out. Add to that her interest in shining a light on the history of beer in the Middle East and the role of Middle Eastern women in particular, she realized it was time to take a big leap with her interest in beer, to take it from a hobby 
to a business. But the first hurdle? Brewing bigger batches of beer. She wasn't going to take over the beer world brewing in her closet. The most financially conscious way to bring a beer to market is to do something that's called like ghost brewing, where essentially there are breweries and they're not always using all of their tanks. So you go in and when they're not using one of their tanks, you brew and you hold your beer there for however many weeks and they package it there on site. So I was reaching out to breweries to find out if they'd be willing for me to contract brew. I got a lot of no's, a lot of confused people about what I was trying to do. What Um, exactly were they confused about? They were just like, you know, a lot of people who are brewing beer have worked in beer for a long time. They know all of their industry friends. So they're kind of like, who is this woman? And she's Iranian. And what are these ingredients? We've never worked with barberries and we don't know how it's going to work. And what if our lines get infected? And, you know, just... Oh, are you sure you can brew a 15-barrel batch? That's a lot, and that's our minimum. I'm not sure you're ready for that. Or, Yeah, I, I got all kinds of weird responses about everything. Eventually, Zara found Flagship Brewing, about a half-hour drive away on Staten Island, another part of New York City. And instead of giving her side-eye, they wanted to work with her. In the fall of 2021, she was ready to brew her first batch of beer in a professional brewery. I was so nervous. I could not sleep the night before. You know, I'm going into a man's world. I was the only female there. I had been doing this in my apartment. And now I'm in a full-scale brewery trying to brew this beer. For her first batch, Zara made 30 barrels, which is about 8,000 cans of beer, the smallest amount the brewery would let her make. The process for the Barbary Sour was a little too complicated for the first run. So she went with two other varieties instead. Persian blue lager, which is made with blue salt that I sourced directly from Iran. That was the most close to my grandfather's recipe from what they remember. It was very just like a classic lager. My family puts a pinch of salt in their beer before they drink it. And so I had the idea to brew with this blue salt from Iran for that beer. That was the beer that you made that caught my attention. Oh, like really? when you were like when you were first starting out, because mm-hmm. there's a lot of cultures where adding a bit of salt to beer is common. I, yeah. I went I was at a bar, um, I think it closed with COVID. It's called the Rusty Knot on the West Side Highway. Oh, yeah. And I ordered a Tecate. And they opened up the can and they sprinkled salt in and squeezed the lime over the top. And I took one sip and was like this is incredible. Yes. I want this in all my beer. Yeah. yeah. And then I saw your beer mm-hmm. and I was like, oh my God, the beer with beer with salt already <laughs> added. Like this yeah. is genius. You know, exactly. and I was reading the label and this is a common, your grandfather and a common thing in Iran. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this is so good. I can't wait to try this. Right. Um, so you set out with the Persian blue lager with a pinch of salt. Yes. And what was the other one? And the other one was the sumac goza. And that was made with a cured sumac that's sourced from Turkey. And it also sits on hundreds and hundreds of pounds of sour cherries, which sour cherries grow wild all over Iran. So we use it in rice. We use it in jams. And both very familiar flavor profiles from when I was growing up in our food and um, also from what I heard my grandfather used in his beer. In addition to deciding what flavor beer should go in the cans, Zara also had to figure out what the outside of the cans should look like. She wanted the design to reflect her culture, her history, and the inspiration behind the brand. She ended up going with aluminum cans with labels stuck in them rather than being printed right on the can, which gives them kind of a homebrew vibe, an homage to her grandfather. The logo is a beer mug shaped like the Azadi Tower, which means Freedom Tower. It's a famous building in Tehran that's instantly recognizable to anyone familiar with the region. And then there's the Farsi calligraphy. I wanted to highlight the language because calligraphy would 
be something that people would see and they would immediately know this is from the Middle East. The designer had the idea to do a poetry series on the first three cans and highlight different Persian poets like Rumi and Chaim, because that's a big part of our culture too. And that's, we work together to kind of bring that to the labels. That was the most terrifying thing for me was coming out with a beer that was so Middle Eastern looking because I'm like, it just opens me up to being attacked or, you know, bashed about what I'm trying to do or things that I've heard growing up. Like, oh, is, this is a terrorist beer. Beer is American. What could, how could beer be coming from Iran? And so that was definitely a scary thing. And I went back and forth about it. We had a lot of different design ideas, but ultimately I was like, you know what? If I'm going to do this, I might as well just go all the way and see what happens. Zara was thrilled with how the cans looked. Then she finally got to taste her beer brewed professionally for the first time. It went really well. I mean, the beer turned out great. So Zara got her first taste, but we got to pause the story here because I need my first taste, okay? At this point, Zara and I have been talking about beer for a solid hour, and I sure am thirsty. Even though it's not quite noon, she breaks out the sumac goza. It's brewed with cured sumac. So the sumac is packed and dried in salt. Normally, a goza has additional salt in the beer. I didn't add anything additional because I really wanted the salinity to come from the sumac itself. And then it's got sour cherries in there, which are typically eaten with salt. Also, if they're eaten fresh off a tree, I think you'll love it. I can't wait. All right, let's crack it open. Okay. All right. Ah, That sound never gets old. (laughs) It does not get old. It's a aluminum can, and the label is like a light pink yes. to go with the tart cherries inside. And the beer itself is like a, a deep rose color. Yes. It's a beautiful color. Oh, my God. It's so good. <laughs> you know what I love about it is that it's tart cherry, but it's not ridiculous. Exactly. That's what I it, Like some exactly. of these sour beers, like it's not a contest to see how sour you can be. Yes. It's delicious. Thank you. When Zara's beers first hit the market in late 2021, they were an immediate hit. Everything about these beers stood out. Beer shops were buying, but also restaurants were more interested than she expected, maybe because of the interesting flavors she was using and the emphasis on drinkability instead of shocking your palate with hops and bitterness. The demand was high enough that she brewed another batch right away. As Zara's business grew, so did her platform, and she began using it to talk about the political situation in Iran. She got a lot of support from other Iranian Americans. Then Zara started getting attention from somewhere else that she didn't see coming. Especially early on when I first started this and I got my social media up, I had a lot of people from Iran that were messaging me with pictures and showing me their homebrew setup or their beer. Look at this beer and the stout I made and I made it with this and asking me for advice. And it was a really cool thing that I did not expect to happen. We asked Zara if she could put us in touch with one of these Iranian homebrewers. She told us most of them were too scared because of the punishments there for making alcohol. But there was one who was willing to speak with us. Hi, my name is Human. Because of some limitation in Iran, I can't say my full name. Human started off making wine. Sometimes he drank Turkish beer in Iran, but he only started to get more into beer when he went abroad. Uh, I went to Malaysia and Singapore and uh, in a German restaurant, they 
came with a beer that the color was brown and the taste was really different. That took my attention and after I came back to Iran, I thought maybe uh, one day I could uh, make that beer for myself. Human eventually found a website written in Farsi that had instructions for brewing beer. It took him some searching, but he was able to round up the ingredients he needed. Once he did, he got to work. Uh, my first batch, I think after one or two months, the results wasn't very good. But for my first try, was was pleasant for me, you know. As Human kept practicing, he got better. He says his favorite style to make is Hefeweizen, but with some tweaks. I tried to manipulate the recipe for having um, more body and one or two percent more alcohol so that my Hefeweizen is a kind of little different than original recipe. Human knows making alcohol in Iran is a risk. As we said, repeat offenses can be punishable by death. But he tells us... I really like brewing, you know. It's uh, so amazing for me to make my own beer. And I really enjoy the taste and the experience. And we gather together with my close friends and taste them and really enjoy them. You know, living under danger uh, in Iran is really something common for us, you know. There are people uh, who are human activists or uh, journalists living in real danger. You know, danger of brewing is nothing compared to them. So that is, yes, there are limitations and punishment for brewing in Iran, but we found our way of living in this situation. They want their freedoms back. It was really ripped away from so many people. I think that for a lot of them, it's an outlet for them. It also, you know, brings out a bit of, it, it makes me feel a little guilty too, you know? How how come I'm able to do this so freely and openly and they're doing this with very limited resources and at a very high risk? And they would say things like, I wish that I can try your beer one day. And I'm like, I hope for the same thing, you know? So we just kind of have this in our minds that it will happen one day and that we will be able to share a beer one day in Iran soon. Would you go to Iran now? I would be scared at this point. They're cracking down. They have facial recognition and they're questioning people and they're putting people in jail. And especially people who are affiliated with the uprisings here and the protests here, which I am pretty publicly open about. So at this point, I would not go back to Iran until it was a free country again. How have the recent protests affected the way you think about life there and what's going on there? 
They truly have started to give me hope about a different life and future in Iran that I never really thought was a possibility. They have had uprisings here and there in Iran over the past 45 years, but never to this extent. And there is a lot more organization inside and outside of Iran. So it has certainly made me feel more hopeful. And, you know, the revolution in 79 took a few years. So I never thought that this was going to happen overnight. This is something that they have been building and securing for 45 years. So it's going to take time. But I do believe that it will happen. And I think a lot of my family and a lot of people inside of Iran are more hopeful for a free future more so than they've ever been in the past. Today, Back Home Beer is in about 200 restaurants and stores in New York and D.C. Zara is working on expanding to other states or being able to ship nationwide. But that's a challenge because there's a lot of rules about shipping alcohol. She wants to open her own brewery and tap room serving Iranian street food, but still needs to raise more money for that. As she works toward that goal, she'll keep telling the story she set out to tell. You talked about when you were in high school and college, Mm -hmm. realizing that the rest of the country didn't view Iran Mm -hmm. and Iranian culture the same way you had growing up. Right. How has working on this beer affected those feelings? For me, it's so important to show that we are strong Iranian women because so much of what people see and what I felt growing up was that, okay, the women are so oppressed. They're not educated. They can't go to school or they, they think they can't drive or they don't have freedoms and they just sit at home and they have to listen to their husbands. And But I'm trying to say no, we are educated and we have fire and we have we are creative and we are strong. And I didn't necessarily feel all of those things growing up, but I really now feel confident and I hope that people can see that. Now that you've kind of gotten this up and running and it's going overall so well, what does your grandmother think? She's excited. The whole family is just so thrilled that the legacy of my grandfather is being continued, that I'm trying to change the narrative about what has been Iran for the last 40 years and move it towards the Iran that they know. They feel nostalgic and a connection to this beer because it does bring up so many memories of their life back home. And so they're they're thrilled. How does your grandmother compare it to your grandfather's beer? She thinks that the lager is the most similar and everything else she just loves. She says it's all very familiar to her. She's so happy she made that comment to me in passing. And she's like, I did this. (laughs) (laughs) This was me. (laughs) Like, you know, so she's taking a lot of credit, which is fine. Um, But yeah, it's, it's good for the whole family. That's Zara Tabatabai of Back Home Beer. Her limited edition New Day IPA is out now just in time for No Ruse. Remember, Back Home Beer's New Day IPA, No Ruse, just right. It's got apples and sumac and wheat in it to represent the No Ruse table. And Zara's got big plans for her New Year's celebrations. And will there be beer there? There will be plenty of beer there, of course, at every meal. (laughs) Breakfast too? Yes, all of it. I mean, I have it for breakfast, so I feel like everyone should. (laughs) 
Go to backhomebeer.com to find out where you can buy all of Zara's beers near you if you're in the New York and Washington, D.C. areas. I also want to say thanks to Professor Rudy Matei for his help with this episode. He wrote a book about alcohol in the Muslim world that's out soon. Next week on the show, I head to the Bronx to talk with the guys from Ghetto Gastro. We'll stop into some of their favorite food spots and talk about what it means to be a culinary collective. While you're waiting for that one, check out last week's episode about a young woman who thinks she might be heading towards disordered eating. The Sporkful is produced by me along with senior producer Emma Morgenstern and producer Andres O'Hara. Editing by Nora Ritchie and Tracy Samuelson. Our engineer is Jared O'Connell. Music help from Black Label Music. And this week, we want to say a special thank you to our longtime editor, Tracy Samuelson. She has played a huge role in making Sporkful episodes better over the last few years. If you've been a fan of the Sporkful for the last few years, including Mission Impossible and all of our big episodes, you have Tracy in large part to thank. So we're really going to miss her. Thank you, Tracy. The Sporkful is a production of Stitcher. Our executive producers are Colin Anderson and Nora Ritchie. Until next time, I'm Dan Pashman. And I'm Janet in North Carolina, reminding you to eat more, eat better, and eat more better.